Welcome back, y'all. I'm Adrian. I'm Neek. And this is The Muses Unsuppressed. Yes. It's been a minute, a few days. I know, everybody. Y'all probably like last week, uh, hello, what's going on? You know, we needed a break. And I'm, we never said that we post it weekly, so I don't even want to put that in the air. That's true, I told yeah. y'all when I feel like it, I'm going to do it. I know. <laughs> and, you clear. know, we took time off. We did post another video on our YouTube. Make sure y'all check that out. But, yeah, you know, we're still committed to this. Like we said, we're here with another episode. And, yeah, so we're yes. present. <laughs> yes, and the reason we needed a break, we just decided to come on and talk about it. Why not? We're talking about mental health in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, mental health as far as um, our own personal mental health and strategies that we use to be able to continue to be entrepreneurs in the week, mothers, wives, yes. and you know, live life as whole as possible. But yes. you know, we've been going through some changes, so <laughs> let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Get on right into it. <laughs> Yeah, man, last week was rough, even for me. Like, it was kind of hard for me to even navigate showing up and even trying to film this episode last week. Like, it was a lot of stuff going on for me. Like, mentally, I had a lot of different things I was battling. I was also about to come on my uh, period. It was that time of month. So, you know, if all my women know, when it's that time of the month, you be everywhere with your mind. So... I was definitely experiencing that. You was too. Yeah. And it just wasn't a way around it. But, you know, everybody has different symptoms when it comes to that time of month. And also we're all dealing with different things. Mm -hmm. And we just, we did not want to force it. That's one thing we said we did not want to do. Yeah, like that's force, what I was going to say. Yeah, force ourselves to push through something because we knew it wouldn't be our best. And, well, and I mean, not just that, just keep it real. Like yeah. I, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to be creative. It's with anything that I put out into the world, anything that I, that I want to express, whether it's, you know, talking or even filming content. If, if it's not time creatively to do anything, I have learned in my career that I need to listen to my intuition. And that's when usually the most creative ideas come is when you stop and you rest. Because if you keep trying to force something and push mm -hmm. something through, to me, it needs to feel like a flow. It needs to feel like a creative flow for me. Even if it's a struggle or a little uncomfortable, it still must feel like a ease or a flow. So for me, um, many of you know already I um, suffer through PMDD and that's like PMS on crack. Um, last week was so bad for me that I felt like just the dysphoric, intrusive thoughts, the... Like, I just feel like I'm a totally different person. It feels like an alien comes <laughs> a week or two before my period, takes over my body and my mind, <laughs> and just all I can do is hold on to the little bit of peace that I have built up the two weeks before that. And it's not easy. I have to do nothing. Like, nothing. Like, that's so true. Like, in the bed, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like, I mean, thank God, you know, we do film some like content and things like that ahead of time but still it was so hard to push through that and it's like 
because everything that's going on in the world and then you know the pressures of oh post this or you have to keep pushing through or you have to keep working and it's like when you do things like that like you said you don't listen to your body and your body will shut down on you and say you think you're doing this you think you're going to push through no we're going to sit you we're going to sit you down right here right and you ain't going to do nothing yeah and it's 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 a lot of therapy that that needed me to sit down too I, I didn't know how to sit down yeah and that was a part of my mental health journey too i've been in therapy now for over 12 13 years i forget now but like i had to be taught that it's okay to rest it's okay mm-hmm. to sit down it's okay to force yourself to breathe and say what ha- what what i've done today what i've done this week what i've done this month is enough and sometimes i've learned spiritually that if you keep trying to push through and you keep trying to force yourself and not, you know, sit down and give your own self rest, which is actually another form of self abandonment. Yeah. Then sometimes your blessings can be blocked. Mm-hmm. You can be so scatterbrained and so chaotic mentally where you haven't balanced that work life or work spiritual flow. And um, yeah, you're going to pay for it. Like you said, your body going to make sure you sit down, whether you like it or not. And I guarantee you, it will be at the most inconvenient time of your life. <laughs> okay. At a time where you be like, but look at this <laughs> list of things I have to do. Like that makes no sense, but there is nothing you can do to stop Mm-mm. that. And then on top of that, it's one thing when you just trying to stop doing your day to day. It's another when you have a business and you still have to run it and then you still have to do things. And it's like, it's not hard. I mean, sorry, it's not easy to find a balance in that. No, it's not. Because Very you're, you're constantly trying to tell yourself, oh, you're not doing enough. Mm. But then your body's like, take care of yourself. We're sitting you down. And it's like, but how do you find the balance to even do both? And it's not an easy task to even find a way through. Well, the system isn't set up for you to rest. The system isn't set up for you Say to find <laughs> an, <laughs> it time for yourself. <laughs> um, slavery just took on a different form. Slavery never technically ended. Um, the plantation just went from slavery, chattel plantation, and just for black people mm-hmm. in this country to everyone in this country. And the plantation turned into a cubicle or a nine to five mm-hmm. or an entrepreneurial job right. or, or a creative job or a gig mm-hmm. economy. Whatever it is that you need to pay them taxes on, they're going to make sure you keep doing it. Yep. That's their goal. And that's they're going to make it hard for us. Literally, that's how they've indoctrinated us. Religion's wrapped up into capitalism. Uh, everything is wrapped up into you making sure you break your back until you are old enough to die. That is so horrible. And you are so right because it's like you think the rat race ends when you no longer, like nope. you said, work in a cubicle. No, no. no. The rat race now is all on you. No. It's about what it's, you can physically do. And like you said, the odds are always against us. It's like, oh, yeah. you think you're going to be this amazing billionaire? You think you're just going to yeah. have an easy road? Yeah. No, we're going to make it even harder yeah, for you. Exactly. Even on social media. You think you're going to yeah. be a content creator? Watch this. Watch right. the algorithm, okay? We're, right, right, right. We're gonna we're gonna push the mediocre people up to the top, but no, we're gonna make you work mm, real hard. And not even the mediocre people. You can have as many followers as you want, as many supporters as you want. We're not gonna show them your content unless you pay us. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not gonna do it. And and like you say, because we live in a gig economy now, if you don't have a, not only if you don't have a 
Instagram, if you don't have a TikTok, if you don't have this, now you need that. It's yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, no one's watching TV anymore. So, no, you need to be promoting yourself on all these different platforms. And yes, pay me because if you don't pay me, I'm not going to push it. And if I don't push it, you're not going to make any money. So, Exactly. And so with all this in mind, including inflation, uh, not to mention how millennials and Gen Z as a whole have been completely robbed um, of anything and everything in this country. So I'm going to take time to rest. I'm going to take time to sit. I'm going to take time for Adrian and for me and for my family and for our joy and for our peace. Because one thing you cannot do Mm -hmm. is take my peace of mind. One thing you cannot do is turn me into a a work mule. I will sit and I will let the universe handle everything it need to handle. That's just, maybe it's a flaw. I don't know, but it seems to be working. All right. I think it worked perfectly fine. I mean, you're going to be taken care of. That's one thing about it. Like, you will have no choice. Um, I did want to ask, what do you think is the biggest struggle having to figure out how to balance being a businessman, but also being a mom, like making time for the girls mentally to, you know, to help them through their struggles or their issues that they might have going on in their life. What do you think is the hardest part about that? Wow. Um, it's not easy at all because you have to, as a mom first put your, put your sometimes have to put your stuff to the side. And you know, there's many times where you've been around me where Mm -hmm. I was going through it and really having a very difficult time and whether it was life or struggling through uh, perimenopause um, <laughs> or just whatever issues that the universe decided to give women in their bodies as they age. And the the girls would come and knock on the door and they would need need me. Yeah. And I would you would watch me dry my tears, <laughs> dry my issues, you know, fix myself up, open the door and put my stuff to the side and deal with that. And. It's just like more weight on me as a mother. But that's the sacrifice that, you know, mothers make. That's the sacrifice that we make. But I would say that that would have to be a challenging thing. Um, As well as like business, even though I can take a break and say, oh, I'm going to let the universe handle it. I, I still have goals and I know that. You know, with balance comes well-being mm-hmm. and well-being to me looks like a lot of self-reflection and a lot of self-analyzing and then allowing those feelings to flow past and reminding myself constantly that, all right, you know, just because you're tired don't mean you, 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 you stopping. You're not finna give up. You're not you might be a little tired. You might be a little exhausted, but it's time to go. You know, we got goals. We got we got plans and we have ideas that, that we need to bring into fruition. And so getting myself from mental health challenges or physical health challenges that I have to battle every month to a transmutive state of well-being or a state of creative flow over the years has taken some time to learn to develop. It's taken some time for me to learn, okay, today I need to go walk. Today I need to get in the sun in order to transmute this. Today I can I can tell you for a fact I have not drinking I have not drank enough water. 
Today, I realized all I ate was processed foods. And I know that those toxins and those, you know, unfortunate bullshit that they put in that is affecting the neurons in my brain. That's causing more anxiety in the month. That's causing more uh, lower depressive states when I know that this is not my baseline. I know that I'm doing this to myself. So that's self-reflection, not shaming myself, not holding weight of pressure on myself or judging myself. Just, you know, all right, bitch, you did this to yourself Mm -hmm. this month. Next month, let's try harder. So I'll get up and I'll know what I need to do. Yeah, I don't, I think it's like, I think it's one thing when people look at like certain people on social media and they be like, oh man, like, you know, look at their funny content or look at this. And I just don't think it's, I don't think people really get the struggles or understand Mm -mm. the balance or the push that you have to put yourself through to push through because like you said, we're not just business women. We're also mothers and to not only, you know, wear the barrier of, you know, the business and everything that's going on with that, whether something sells, whether something not, or, you know, the logistics, all that stuff behind it. But at the same time, we're content creators. So there's, we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have YouTube, we have, you know, all of that. And then, like you said, we also, we're also a family. So we have to make time to be there for our girls. And it's not easy sometimes in the day-to-day having the mental capacity to do it all. Mm-mm. So some days we'll go a few days without posting on TikTok because mentally we just, we're, we're burned out. We can't do it. Or we'll go a few days without, you know, maybe not even posting on YouTube or, yeah. you know, don't, Instagram don't even get a post. It's like, it's true. I'm, first of all, I'm never posting every day. You're not getting that out of me. I don't work for your fucking platforms. You can <laughs> stop that right now. I, I, <laughs> no, ew, that's ill. But what we're, what, what I think people, a lot of people with social media, I think a lot of people get into it and then they don't know how to keep pushing through with consistent posting um, either a without comparing to other people or Mm -hmm. B without looking for instant gratification through results or numbers. And I think that deters a lot of people or, or sometimes people don't even want to put themselves out there. I get that question a lot because of the nerves of being criticized or judged or scrutinized. And that fucking is hard. It is. I'm, I'm, I will not lie to you. I am, you know, guilty of that. Like there have been a lot of different things, you know, that I've wanted to do or pursue on my own, but you know, if I do something one time and it don't get enough traction or instant, mm-hmm. like you said, reward that I'm looking for, I'll stop mm-hmm. or I'll try something else. If it doesn't give me what I want, I'll stop. And I have yeah, to get out of my that. own way because I always can see the vision. You even help me see the vision sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's like if I'm always looking for some instant reward, it's not it's not going to make me push through. It's no. not going to make me be consistent. And to back, to piggyback off of that not just that you have to sit down and get really clear about your goals and what you're really doing it for because sometimes that pushes me through those days of uh cuz you're going to have days where you're you're nervous or you're you know concerned or maybe you're not feeling good or maybe you know I don't know. It's just the third time you got to keep pushing yourself through low view content or because these algorithms will fuck with you. You be thinking it's you. It's not you. It's the, girl. Anyways, got to really remember why you're doing something in the first place. Like. And it has to mean something to you. For me, it just can't be like, oh, well, I'm doing this to go viral. Yeah. Don't make that mistake. Like 
it needs to have a deeper meaning because you can't control that. That's out of your control. You can't control if how once you put something into the world, whether people will, you know, accept it or not, or people will reject it. All you all you can do is put it out. And I feel like when people search for external validation through social media is not going to work for you for very long. It's, it's just not. not. It's, it's not because you're going to start doing what other people do because you see them go viral and that might not work for you. That might not be your, your calling. You might, you might not be your testimony or you'll start to, like you say, kind of shrink yourself down from keep posting because your value lies in numbers. Your value lies in the analytics of a thing. And it doesn't lie in, let me post this art to help heal my community. And so that way, if you get three comments, you know, for a fact, you didn't heal three people or maybe for, maybe let me post this so that it, I know for a fact that this content will eventually get me to whatever goal you may have in the future in your career or your profession. So you're not looking at that instant number gratification. You're remembering your long-term goal and why you're doing it. Yeah. but And you know, the funny thing about social media is the way that it's been glamorized for people to always think you always have to look your best. Oh, if you don't get these numbers, then your content yeah. must suck. And it's like, if you're a content creator, you're someone that's put yourself out there, that stuff's going to take a toll on you and mm -hmm. it will stop you from pushing yourself on social media. But also like if you're someone who likes to poke fingers or comment bad stuff on people's uh, social media posts, like keep in mind, like this is not easy for everyone to do. You know, I've, I'm not going to beg people to be nice. People hate themselves. <laughs> so when you when bad comments to me, you took your time as an adult. And most of the time, if, if they're kids, so I don't care. But if, if it is an adult, you took your time to think of me. Yeah. In other words, I stole time from your life. Thank you for that. As In addition to the engagement that you put to help push my content further. Thank you, son of a bitch. Right. So to me, bad comments, don't even worry about that. Those people hate themselves. You're not going to get everyone to right. love you. That's, that's unfortunately <laughs> the price you pay when you are posting anything on social yeah. media. They or, wish they could do what you were doing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they wish they had the guts to I mean, take the risk. Social media isn't for everyone. I don't think everyone wants to do it, but I do think if you are a grown adult who took the time to comment on a stranger's post, your true feelings, like, I, I ain't gonna lie. I might hate on a nigga page, but I'm not gonna take the time to comment. I'm scroll. I'm just keep scrolling or unfollow them. Like when when it gets too much. And as far as mental health, social media, bro, I have to take a break on that too. As far yeah. as even consuming it, as far as not just posting, even consuming it because I don't know what the hell's happening. But social media over the last few years, especially, has gotten incredibly dark. It's like an energy. For me, as a highly sensitive person, I feel that through my phone. I feel people's energies. I feel I feel people's insecurities. I feel people's like pain and suffering even through the pictures. And it's just like sometimes delete. I just have to delete people from my account. Sometimes I have to delete. I, we might be cool in real life, but sometimes your content that you put out on your page maybe affecting other people where we don't, it might be a little heavy. For yeah. example, somebody was posting something um, that I, that I follow about like really, really heavy that was going on in their life. And it was a trigger for me. 
And it's not that, you know, I don't support them, but for me, I don't want every time I refresh my page, I'm constantly reminded of something. You got to clear out your stuff and don't take it personal. If somebody, you know, unfollows you, sometimes that's not a true reflection of how I feel about you in real life. Sometimes your content is just not it for me. Yeah. So how do you feel or what do you think social media has done when it comes to like the girls and, you know, their generation? Like, do you think it's kind of been like a bad influence or, or a bad like look when it comes to the things that they look for as they're like being teenagers or being influenced by like as adults or things that they feel like they should have ways they think they should look? In my opinion, I do think social media has definitely affected um, not just, of course, our girls, but um, the entire generation and not just their generation. I Mm -hmm. feel like it's messed with us, too, and Jene. And so I really do believe that. Well, one particular example was when um, Aaliyah, my youngest daughter, was in. High school, she had just, we had just finished homeschooling them. And um, they really, 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 really begged me to (laughs) experience the last three years of um, high school in a brick and mortar school. So reluctantly, we went ahead and let them do it. Um, I don't believe in kind of capping your kids and what they want to experience. So we tried to prepare them as much as possible. I knew for a fact there would be some major changes. But what I wasn't expecting was the change when they went to school and it involved social media, I thought it would maybe involve like, you know, of course, uh, maybe some peer pressure, some bad influence, mm-hmm. like the typical stuff, right? That, typical you know, high school. Yeah. stuff. And when one day she came home crying um, because she was being bullied for a YouTube video mm-hmm. that um, actually was like viral on our old YouTube page and she was crying. They were, she was saying that the kids were, were bullying her because she did a make. She, she's been doing makeup since she was nine years old. Yeah. She's done um, BuzzFeed interviews with Quinta Bronson. She's done uh, just, just a whole bunch of stuff that she asked us to take down. She was really like well known in the YouTube community back in the day. Yeah. And so I, you know, of course I took him down. I tried to talk her into like, you know, standing up for herself and you know but it's kind of difficult to do that it was I feel like looking back it was really hard for her it was it was a struggle to even just be in school yeah and then for her first like real experience of being bullied is about being bullied online and so I'm seeing a lot of conversations happening about social media and parents and like family vloggers and how, you know, the kids have no con have no, what is it? The kids have no consent um, to filming at a young age. And, you know, parents are forcing their children because I guess the streams bring in funds and the family gets paid by that. Right. I don't believe in that at all. The second my child expressed, I don't want this no more. I don't give a damn how 
fucking popular it is. Mm-hmm. Take it the hell down. It's true. Same thing with Asia. A lot of people for a while didn't even know that we had yeah. two daughters, but that's because Asia wasn't at a point where she wanted to be in front of the camera. She pretty mm-hmm. much liked being behind the camera, but now she's mm-hmm. wanting to be more in the camera. So we always made sure that we respected their wishes, Absolutely. no matter what age they were. They knew what it is that they wanted to do, and we never took that for granted or forced them to do anything that they didn't want to do. And you, I could not imagine, like, I'm trying to put myself back when I was in high school, like how that would have affected me if I was growing up and we had social media, like I, that probably would have changed everything about my like high school experience. Like well, there's yeah, a lot of things. You were, you, you were a popular girl. Yeah. You were popular among the cheerleaders, the, you know, the sports yeah. and the schools and stuff like that. But imagine if you were also popular or just even known around the high school age group that you're in on social media. So now you got all these eyes on you when you're at at home. Yeah, that would have terrified me. Like, my mama would have had to really, like, do some mentally, like, come on, baby, let me sit down. And she would have had to really, Mm -hmm. really, really talk to me. And we did have to really talk to them. We We had to keep not only encouraging them to, you know, of course, not be pressured or bullied into silencing yourself silencing your self-expression and who you really are but also being an example showing them look we get negative comments every day this is how we handle it we get negative opinions and in people that just feel like they can just come and comment on our life yeah or or, or how we choose to do things and I, you can see how i handle it some people get dealt with some people get ignored but either way you're not going to change me and it eventually grew into two self-sufficient young adults who learned through, you know, trial and error that I am me, you can't change me and you can't bully me into being what you want me to be. It's true. And I think they also started to see or look more into the comments that were positive or the great, right. the impact exactly. that they actually was having on their peers or the people who admired them for what they were doing. And it's like, huh, well, people actually do like it. And so the more they started focusing to on focus on that, then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's more positive than negative. So I'm not going to worry about the negative comments because I am doing something. People do recognize me for making a change or they do like my makeup skills or they do like, you know, yeah. all of that. So I definitely think, it's, it's just all about like what you choose to focus on because even now child sometimes I have to talk you out and not respond to some of the bad comments but <laughs> you be going at it I do. I, do. I, I only immediately respond and then delete it <laughs> you know what it is I do forget <laughs> that, and I, I forget like I I am a consumer of social media yeah Oh, girl, I'll be ready to go off in them comments. I don't, and y'all, I don't care. I still will comment. I don't care. I don't care. You don't. And some people be like, some people, I, I, will, I will comment on the most random TikTok at like 3 a.m. in the morning and not think, from my personal page, not even from the Muses page. And the next day I wake up and somebody will be like, what are you doing here? Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, I know. They're like, oh my gosh. Like, I love your art. Or I remember you guys on YouTube. We'd be like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got to remember to just like not comment, but uh, because I don't want another page. I don't want to do a whole fake page thing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your late uh, ASD diagnosis from your therapist. What did that do at the age that you were where you finally found out mentally what had been going on for you all? 
throughout your life that you just could never understand besides the ADHD and the anxiety? Well, let me start off by saying it was very validating at first. Yeah. Like I had a reason to say, oh, that's what it is. That's why I view the world like this. Um, And no one can quite understand why. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then it developed into immense grief of what my life could have been if instead of abuse, I received accommodations where I would be in life. If I wasn't just known as the gifted kid. Yeah. um, Who was very well behaved. Yeah. Um, But really, I was just honestly, really early observant (laughs) and learned very quick how to survive. And that was to stay quiet, get good grades and suffer through it. Um, And the only thing that I that I had growing up to balance that was art. And so that's what I hyper focused on um, my entire childhood. I probably spent hundreds of thousands of hours (laughs) in a drawing pad in a, in some sort of a canvas or, you know, something. Art became your escape. Yeah. Art was my escape. I would draw everything, everything, whether it was people, places, plants, it didn't matter. I drew everything. It was, I drew worlds. I drew universes. I drew what I wanted to see in life. I drew my mansions when I grew older. I drew my escape plans from the <laughs> church. I drew everything. Yeah. And um, so it started to make sense as to why I always reverted there um, in times of what I now know were meltdowns. Yeah. And they were known as aut- what I didn't know were autistic meltdowns in a black woman. And let me just start there. Autism in the black community is definitely um, underdiagnosed and um, there's just lots of layers to autism in the black community because for one, it's seen as um, a, you know, a very debilitating diagnosis to have. It's very ableist in our community mm-hmm. and I even kept it to myself for for maybe a year. I didn't I didn't want to tell anyone because I started to even have indoctrinated and programmed internalized ableism towards myself. Mm. I started to doubt like things that I had accomplished or things that I didn't accomplish. I was very confused about a lot of situations that I thought were personality traits in my past that I had to sit with and say, Oh my God, I was taken advantage of. I didn't understand the social cues in college. And okay. So for example, one of the biggest, biggest things revelations that um, I had to come to terms with was I started to journal. I journal every day Yeah, and I started to journal and then it just hit me. I I got a, a memory this one time of I was always an honor honor student scholar, um, you know. Yeah, I got an academic scholarship to 
um, University of Florida. And I thought one day as I was writing in my journal, the memory of why I left my academic academic scholarship came back. Yeah. And one thing with autism is you can be extremely bright and extremely intelligent or hyper focused on certain things. But you can also unless you're given the knowledge and the training, which I definitely wasn't because we were preacher's kids over sheltered. And it was just like we I never went to a football game, never went to any prom extracurricular activities. It was always church homeschool for 18 years of my life. So sad. Never did anything. Voted prom queen, couldn't go. Voted a class president, couldn't stay after school. None of that stuff. I only snuck out that window. Well, my mother had alarms on the windows. So you, every time you open it, it goes, you couldn't, there was no escape. It's just, Oh God. I was never given social cues, skills, or development. Like I said, I I had friends, but they were just in church and school. Yeah. And never, like, after. You know what I mean? It wasn't for my therapist expressing to me, like, you know, there were a lot of social cues, a lot of dangerous things that most autistic people miss early in their life. I was 18 years old. I was 19 years old, especially heavily sheltered. And then I began to even think about that. Why were we heavily sheltered? Yeah, what were, were you we heavily tra- sheltered because my parents knew things and they just as black well-to-do people, they didn't talk want about the testing. It, yeah. They didn't want the 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 knowledge. I can guarantee you they didn't cuz they don't believe in mental health. They don't believe in going to see psychologists. They don't believe in any mental health doctor stuff. They believe in Jesus fixing you 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 got depression that's cuz you sinning. You yeah. got anxiety that's cuz you a dyke. Yeah. They don't believe in like mental health issues. Meanwhile, autism is is hereditary. Yeah. So it probably still for them. Yeah. So, you know, um, I what, think what what is that about, though? Like why? Like in the black community, why do our parents not like to talk about certain like what is that in about? In my opinion, in my in my humble opinion, most of it, unfortunately, believe that it's a protection because one more thing over my black child and they can become a victim. And it's it, it is truth. I black people are more um, prescribed medications. Black people are the most who get locked up in mental institutions easier. Um, black people are the most underdiagnosed. In other words, I had to go through year after year after year after year of trying to figure out what's wrong with me. They don't, they didn't care. The, one year it was just ADHD and nothing's wrong. Get these, uh, medications and shut up the mm-hmm. next year. Oh, and you have anxiety, get these medications, shut up the next year is, Oh, and you have severe OCD, get these medications and shut up. And so then I had to go through weaning myself off of those because of the extra side of effects that they were giving me because I didn't have, you know, more holistic tools at the time to help me focus. And, you know, it was a whole, whole thing. That's a whole nother episode. But like, but as parents, I would think like, okay, maybe I, feel, I should sit down and talk to them, tell them do. what it is. Now you feel that and, way. And so that way you could go into the world and know what to say, what not to say, how to navigate this, what people might look at you. So that way you can at least know. You know what? Um, I'm going to be honest. going out there, winging it, I'm and gonna then be honest, get yourself, bro. you know? No, nah, when you grow up in a holiness church as a preacher's kid, you don't even believe that you're going to live this long. Every single day of my life, I was expecting Jesus to return. Wait, oh, I'm like, wait, Jesus why is you going to die? Soon. Jesus is coming back soon. He's going to crack the sky. 
That's what started my goddamn anxiety in the first place. <laughs> Crack the sky and Crack, do what? Come and get everybody or leave us behind. And I know you've seen that movie. <laughs> they made us watch that shit. Oh at six, eight, nine. Man, that is that is abuse. And unfortunately, my, my therapist had to, I had to deal with learning. My upbringing in church was fundamental abuse. And it actually, scientifically, look it up, fucked up my prefrontal cortex. It fucked up my brain development. Dang, that sucks. It literally caused fear. So an example of how it grew into fear, you may look and say, oh, well, you're successful or you're artistic or, you know, you're creative. But what you don't see is the other side of it that I have to fight through just to fight the voices of my indoctrination of just being beat into my brain since I was one years old that I'm going to hell because I no longer go to church. I'm going to hell. I like, it doesn't bother me to that extent anymore, but it's more, it's more so shows up in subconscious ways. Like, um, self-sabotage ways of maybe a few, a few years into my art career, I was uh, presented an opportunity to design a debit card for a bank, right? And the, the contract was for, at the time, my greatest amount of money. I had been fighting tooth and nail to get to a certain level of financial freedom and security for me and my family, the first in, in our generation. Yes. And when I seen the amount on that check, it freaked me out so much that I self-sabotaged the opportunity. But it didn't look like a conscious self-sabotage. What it looked like is um, excuses as to why I couldn't do it. And the excuses that I fell back on were the indoctrinated limiting beliefs of my, my mother consistently saying to me, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And I couldn't, my subconscious mind was really battling my, my conscious mind where I am today. And I couldn't put the two together. And it wasn't until... Um, that, that I realized, you know what, my parents probably hid a lot of stuff from us for, because of church, mm-hmm. because of church beliefs and, and Jesus saying, if, if I can remember trying to go up to her, say, Hey, I, something, something ain't right. So I got, we need to, I, I'm having difficulty with this in school and I need help. You better figure it out. So you know what I did? ADHD and autism in young girls looks like, all right, I'm going to stay up all night and figure out this shit by myself no matter how long it takes and I'm going to memorize it and I'm going to fucking get this. And boys, it looks like hyperactivity. It looks like, Oh, I'm not paying attention in class. So I'm going to draw on this desk. But in girls, we get, we get slid. Oh, she's, she's making A's. So there's nothing wrong with this one. Yeah. But you don't know what it took for me to get those A's. And so in adulthood, I was still carrying those work ethics with me. Do you think you ever maybe have self-sabotage some of your relationships once you came out because of your background like did you ever have those thoughts like or did you ever have to battle like I'm going to hell because I'm gay when you were in lesbian relationships oh yeah before therapy before you oh yeah I'm gonna say that could you know <laughs> it's See, anxiety, the fear might be there, but we're going to get through this. Okay? <laughs> we ain't going to push through. Well, we listen, let me explain cat. something to you. We're going to, we're going to, we'll be all right, baby. We will be all right. Because what it is, is working through it. Yeah. I feel the, I feel the fear. 
I feel the emotions. I hear the I hear the the scriptures, but I'm going to fight this. And you know why? Because it ain't true. I've yeah. proven that it ain't true to myself. I know it's not true. So I don't care if I have to keep doing this over and over. And eventually it stopped. Eventually it, it, it weighed nothing in comparison to who I was laying next to. Yeah. When I met you, if that fear or what we call um, in, in my therapy, we call it a religious OCD. It's when you have intrusive thoughts of indoctrinated beliefs that no longer serve you. So when you came to me and those feelings would come back in my mind, or even simple as like holding your hand. It was just a trigger. You know, I, I may walk, we may be walking outside in a mall and I may see, my brain may see people and it, that's what triggers the thought. So it's not even me consciously mm. bringing it to myself. It's intrusive. So I will have to battle it and say, no, this is the love of my life. And this pussy worth going to hell for. What a horrible thought to even have to always battle. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Yeah, it does. So... <laughs> So sometimes and then and then the crazy thing is, even though I know those beliefs aren't serving me anymore, if it's that time of the month and I'm suffering through a week of really difficult PMDD or a really bad month of perimenopause, which, by the way, um, autistic or ADHD women and especially black women are scientifically proven to start going through perimenopause just as early as in their 30s, 32, 34, 35. So there ain't no telling when the hell I started experiencing these symptoms. And it increases your ADHD, your mm-hmm. OCD. Your, it increases it. So lately it's just like, I can't do anything today. Even yeah. though I know these thoughts ain't real, they're still, there. it's too many. It's yeah. too many. And I just have to sit on my balcony, sit on the beach, smoke, or, you know, just paint for not to sell anything, just paint to not show anything, just mm-hmm. get it or out. Exercise. Or exercise, exercise. Yeah. Going on walks. Like I know that usually helps me. Usually, or microdose. Lately, that's been really helping me. Microdosing uh, mushrooms. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh. Everything goes away. Everything goes away. So I can't wait for that to be no. on every corner. I think it's legal in certain cities, but states, but. Well, I'm going to need to smoke after that. <laughs> well, you could definitely do that, love. So I have a question for you. Yeah. When I did get my diagnosis and you've seen how, you know, it affected me over the years. What was your experience watching that? Um, A lot of questions that I might have had in my head kind of made sense. Because, you know, I know, you know, I'm a little, uh, you know, I, I know I have my little ways or whatever, but also you do too. But I think it just, cause I knew about the ADHD, I knew about the anxiety, but it was always something else. It was just like, huh? So when you did get the diagnosis, it was like, oh, and then when we both started researching about it, we started talking everything more about made it. Sense. Everything made sense. It was like, oh, that's why that's you why, do that. Yeah. Oh. It was mainly sensory. Like none of my therapists yeah. could ever make sense as to why I couldn't wear certain clothes, why certain things or hairstyles or things would overstimulate my sensory yeah. issues. Like, And when I say sensory, that means all senses. I... 
see things in heavy detail. My brain is processing everything in this room right now as we speak. Yeah. If you see me in glasses, it's because I want to focus on what you're saying. My mind is not only hearing you, but it's also processing the colors in this painting. Yep. It's processing the lighting because it's way too goddamn bright and too much. My eyes are heavily sensitive. Mm-hmm. Even- I see I see the, the, the dog hair in the corner. I see, and it's it's my brain is trying to process it. That's yeah. just one sense. I was like, even like sometimes how you eat food, certain foods that well, you eat. Well, I haven't gotten the, there yet. Yeah. Yeah, the, the five senses, so even hearing, if me and you were talking, but the TV's playing, basically, if you want to know what it's like to have sensory overload as an autistic person, sit in a chair without headphones, play your record player, have four people having a conversation three in three different corners of the room, have two different TVs playing, have your windows open so you hear all the dogs barking, the construction, the cars driving in the background, and literally try to talk yourself and have a conversation. You're processing everything around you. All that means is autistic people with sensory issues. My neurons have way, I have way more neurons than you do. So where your brain, you'll go into a restaurant and say, and they call it autistic brain versus an allistic brain. An allistic brain or a neurotypical brain will go into a restaurant without sensory issues and say, oh, this is cute. This is nice. Go straight down. Your brain sees everything as a whole. Then you sit down, you order your food. For me, it's different. I walk into a restaurant and as an autistic brain, my brain processes things from the bottom up. I, the smell smacks me in the face. The lights, whether they're dim or low, is good, but it, you know, it, it just depends. The sound, is it too much music? Is it too much quiet? Now I'm wondering if, if the, the back, it's gonna be feeling like I have to lean back this way. Like it's, it's clothes hurt. Food tastes disgusting. And I never had a reason why. My father still has a running joke where he has me on, on, on recording as maybe three years old taking a bath saying, literally having a full-blown meltdown. I'm having a full-blown meltdown, bro, about the washcloth being too big. And I completely remember and know exactly what I'm talking about. They're like, it's not too big, Adrian, it's not too big. And I'm just screaming in the tub. You don't understand, I can't wash. I can't wash because it was too thick. I didn't like the texture. I I like the thin ones, you know what I mean? Because it just felt better on my skin. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't um, find the vocabulary. I didn't have the words to express that. So there were signs all up and down my childhood, even until adulthood. I wipe my feet before getting into the bed. Mm -hmm. It's a ritual, but it's OCD, but it's sensory. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. How did it feel when you like, did, did that make sense to you as to like, oh, that's why when I cook her this meal, she can't. Definitely. It definitely changed. Or I can't I, eat leftovers. It definitely changed like the way that I cook, the way I plate your food, like all that definitely came into play. So yeah. I definitely had to keep that in mind, but it all made sense. Right. For sure. Well, I want to fucking thank you for being there because that was very difficult for me to process and still process. Um, every day I feel like it's a new discovery or something else to research. And you have been the best thing that I've ever could have ever asked for. Well, I like to think that I'm very understanding. I am. I don't judge at all. And I let people just 
be how they are and how they present. So well, I love what, you the way that you are. Listen, before the diagnosis, that's what brought us together anyway. <laughs> it was just, I didn't have to mask with you yeah. because you know, you have your ways and I have my ways yeah. and come to find out you want a spectrum too. And usually we find each other. So look at us. <laughs> what they call that show? Two peas in a pod? No, oh, what's that? Um, love uh, on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Look at us, love <laughs> on a spectrum. And it works for us. And we found a way and a life with with our ADHD kids and 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 everybody on the spectrum in this motherfucker. Okay. That's why you know, hey, there's a, it's pros and cons to it. it you know, we we all creative in our own ways. We're all expressive in our own ways. But you know, we want to start talking more about just the mental health challenges and the mental health championships yeah. that we've won in this life and on this journey to well-being and better health and I just really felt like even though it is difficult as fuck to talk about and has been and I'll probably get off this podcast episode and have to work through actually publishing it and just pushing through the fear but I really just want to be I don't know I just want to be an example to people that may be looking for answers to questions they don't even know to ask yet and so yeah, that makes sense. You know, the muses are here to inspire you all. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Drop your comments and questions below. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know if you want us to dive deeper into some topics or you have some specific questions that you want to know about mental health. Um, please let us know. And yes, thank you all so much for watching to the end, listening. And until the next episode.